Welcome to the Unqualified Scholar Podcast. All right, welcome to the Unqualified Scholar Podcast, where I'm joined by my good friend and very qualified scholar, Dr. Michael McKay, who is an associate professor of biblical theology at Cedarville University. And his specialty is uh, the book of Hebrews and, and really uh, the Septuagint, which is the ancient Greek translation of the Old Testament. He sometimes talks to me about those things, and I don't understand what he's saying. So uh, we're going to talk today a little bit about Psalm 127. And this is uh, like the basic idea that, we're ta- that we have as an undergirding um, cooperative project kind of a thing is that we are uh, talking about the Bible in sermon development and the role of the Septuagint really like a lot of things will feed into that. And that's one of the reasons we call it the unqualified scholar, because uh, we'll talk about things that I'm not qualified to talk about. So Michael, welcome. Well, thank you, Todd. I appreciate you uh, having me on. This is good. I look forward to our conversations together, whether we're uh, talking about a specific passage or something else related to the scriptures or ministry. So it's a good opportunity. Thanks. I can remember when you and I were moving tables at New Tribes Bible Institute. This was probably in the early 2000s. And I forget exactly what you said, but it's like, here we are, two smart guys moving tables. (laughs) Hopefully we dovetailed a good conversation into that. But uh, yeah, yeah, we probably just grumbled a lot, but that's that's my end of the thing anyway. It's like, why are we moving tables? We moved a lot of furniture during those years of ministry. There's no doubt about it. I think there should be seminary courses in moving furniture so that you don't mess up your back because <laughs> that is one characteristic of ministry that I think, um, I mean, actually, so we just recently at uh, the church, Heart of the Lakes Jackson, uh, where I am, I am currently on hiatus. I'm actually transitioning to Shoreline Church in Oak Harbor, Ohio. Uh, very excited about that. But most recently, we moved the pews out of Heart of the Lakes Church in Jackson. So, oh, wow. yeah, that was a project. Solid oak or? <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. Uh, mostly particle board. They were yeah. they were serviceable They and they had a good long lifespan. Um, and we, we basically broke them down and put them in a dumpster. And then we put a tarp over the dumpster because we didn't want to disrupt uh, anybody's peace and sanctification. So smart. That's yeah. wisdom. Oh, and we actually replaced it with chairs that we got from uh, Ethnos 360 Bible Institute, which is the... Uh, new name of New Tribes Bible Institute. So I've been moving New Tribes chairs uh, for a long time now. That's amazing. So you have uh, bookended this entire story with two furniture movings from New Tribes. That's, an, yeah, that's, that's fantastic. That's pastoral ministry right there, buddy. You have a gift, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so uh, maybe uh, you could read for us uh, from the English of Psalm 127. Sure. All right, well, I'll I'll use the uh, ESV here that you have on the screen for us. So this is Psalm 127, verse 1. Would you like me to read the entire psalm? Yeah, read the the, uh, superscription as well. Okay, so this is a song of ascents of Solomon. Uh, Verse 1, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a 
heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Awesome. Thank you. Um, one of the things that we we did, and, and so I studied Hebrew uh, when I got my Master of Divinity degree, and Hebrew for me was the bully that took my lunch money every day and gave me a swirly in the hall bathroom. Um, <laughs> Hebrew was very difficult for me. Um, so when I think about the process, one of the things that's important in Hebrew is to hear what's happening in the psalm. And so I, I don't have the ability to uh, vocalize Hebrew uh, as well as I should, but thanks to the Google, there's actually a, um, a website that contains all the, all the Hebrew Bible in Hebrew read, read aloud. Oh, wow. Okay. And so I listen to it, you know, multiple times, you know, and I follow along, you know, uh, just kind of going piece by piece, and then I'll get lost and you have to back up a little bit because Hebrew is both uh, not left to right, it's right to left. And there's all these little vowel points that if you're not very careful, it's tough to vocalize. I don't know. How's your, how's your vocalization of Hebrew? You know, I, um, I try to practice it occasionally just because you do get out of practice saying it, you know, mm -hmm. if you don't actually work your lips and pronounce the sound so um yeah i might stumble here and there but i think i could do all right but yeah it's I, one of those things you get used to reading in your head and you don't actually say the words and all of a sudden when you do try to pronounce them you you sound like you don't know what you're doing <laughs> yeah i can with practice uh so uh pastoral ministry is kind of a whirlwind you don't necessarily get to concentrate your time as well um as, as I used to when I was teaching, you know, Bible classes, you know, because you're able to focus in on one thing. Um, usually there's three or four things going on at once. Mm. Um, so I'm out of practice with both Greek and Hebrew, but Hebrew was the kind of thing that I never, never really caught for me. I apologized to my professor after, you know, getting <laughs> through it. And he said, there's more to life than Hebrew. And I said, thank you, Lord. <laughs> A gracious person. But as I, so as I listen to this, and as I think about this, um, there's a word that really kind of jumps off the page, and the word is shav. And in the first part of the psalm, the first two verses, it's it comes across as the word vain. And so um, a couple things, like as I look at this pastorally, as I get started and think about, okay, how am I going to develop this into a message, a sermon? Um, the Song of Ascents, is, that's going to be important for the historical cultural background. Um, and so a, a friend of mine, Wendy Witter, is an Old Testament professor, and she is doing a blog series on the Psalms of Ascent. And so I was like, oh, great. So I'm, I'm listening to what she has to say. I'm reading some of her stuff. And these were songs that people sang on their way to Jerusalem. Yes. So there were, what, three festivals that people were, that they were required to attend if circumstances allowed. And yes. so they would go up to Jerusalem, pretty much whichever direction you came from, you were going to end up going up a hill. Exactly. And along the way, you would be singing these travel songs. And so it's a real, so when you think about that, uh, that sort of sets the historical cultural context, mm. people coming to Jerusalem at a time when lots of other people are also coming to Jerusalem. And so the first part of the psalm, the word that really jumps out is shav, and shav means vain. So unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in 
vein. And the Hebrew, like it's really, it's more compact than the English. Right. And it's sort of like, if you look and you see that word shav, there's, okay, what's that mark called right after shav right here in the middle? So there's yes. shav. And then there's a, it's a disjunctive marker. I mean, I could look up the technical name if you'd like, but really what is important is that it functions kind of like a comma, not quite yeah. as harsh as a semicolon, mm -hmm. but like a comma. You're, you're supposed to pause there. So, you know, basically it's, uh, if he doesn't build the house, vanity, and then yeah. there's kind of a comma, and then it goes on to the next part. Yeah, so really, it's almost like in the vote, and it, it comes out in the vocalization as I listen to this guy who's reading this, he really intentionally gets to shove and he just kind of like stops for a second, like you're saying a comma, mm -hmm. so that it's it jumps out, it pops into the ear, um, not just into the eye, because most people in the ancient world who are listening to this and thinking about this, they're not reading it. Yeah. Right. You know, they're, they're, it's being sung. And so there's this intentional stop there, shav, vanity, emptiness. And so um, when we think about the, the Greek translation, because you're the Septuagint guy, what word gets used for emptiness there? Um, so let me look it up real quick here. Yeah. So there are a few distinctions, like instead of it calling the psalm a psalm of ascents, it's a psalm of going up the stairs, which is kind of mm. interesting. <laughs> so it's a little different. It still has two Solomon there, or maybe it could be translated by Solomon. Um, uh, but then what it, it doesn't really... So basically it reads this, it has a word that is, is more uncommon, uh, matain, which means vain. So the, the rest of the Greek kind of follows the Hebrew fairly closely. It, you know, if the Lord should not build a house, then to vanity is what it has or to mm -hmm. vain. So they add in a little preposition there. But um, yeah, besides that initial phrase of introduction, you know, a psalm of the stairs. It, it, mm -hmm. So far, it reads pretty pretty closely. I think it's interesting that in the Septuagint translation, you know, um, as I look at it, Matain is still kind of right in the middle. Mm -hmm. So it really kind of gives you, um, okay, you have this, this project on one side and you've got the builders on the other side, those who are building. Um, and in the middle, there's this ruin or destruction almost like a rotten apple. Like you might have all kinds of good things around the rotten apple, but um, it's empty on the inside. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and just to your point of, you know, you drew attention to the Hebrew grammatical marker there to help us put a pause there. You know, those didn't come around until well after the new Testament was written. Um, and so when the Greek is being translated, you know, somewhere around between the third century BC and in Jesus's time in the first century, mm -hmm. they didn't have any of those markers. So they're kind of doing the best they can. And, and so this actually creates a little bit of uh, reading difference, you know, now, thankfully for the book of Psalms, it's what we might call a, a translation that that follows closely the Hebrew. They're really trying to match the word order and, and of, the, of the Hebrew. Well, um, but yeah, that's, if you wonder if the person who translated this Greek psalm, if if he was used to singing it, and so but when he's doing yeah. the translation, he kind of has that 
that rhythm in his mind as he's working mm. through the text. We just don't know. I mean, that's very speculative on my part, but it is fascinating to think in terms of how it would be, be pronounced and read. And I think we're so accustomed to being a written culture. You know, um, I, for me, like I'm a visual kinesthetic learner. I've got to write stuff down so that it sticks in my head. Um, where my wife is much more an auditory learner. So she listens to audiobooks all the time. I listen to audiobooks and sometimes it doesn't stick. You know, it's like, okay, um, there's just a difference there. But yeah. in the ancient world, you're going to have many more people who are accustomed to hearing. You know, so when you when you read something, you read it aloud for the benefit of the people who are also in the house with you. There is no TV, you know, there's, and so, and even the, the role of like Bible memorization. And I love those people who memorize whole books, but I'm not one of them. In the ancient world, you would memorize something like that so that you could share with your family, with your community. You know, the Lord says this in his book and here's, here's how you go through it. Yeah. So I think there's, there's something like we can be very skeptical about, well, maybe we don't really know this or that or the other. But I think we have a reliable copy of what God wants us to have in the scriptures. Mm -hmm. And so, um, yeah, I think it's, I, I don't think it's too much of a stretch. And here's where um, <clears throat> we're both educated. So like, we like the hedge, you know, we don't want to go too far. We want to have footnotes in all of our conversations. Um, but I don't think it's too far to believe that, that people had this rhythm built into their minds. Yeah, yeah, I, there's, there's, I think there's good reason to think that way. You know, one analogy, whenever I think of the Psalm of Ascents, I, I, I try to find something in our culture that is similar to that. And I've, two things come to mind, you know, the, when you go to a, a football game or a baseball game or a soccer game, uh, particularly a soccer game, when you think of like European soccer, everybody there knows the, the songs, you know, and uh, these these are just things everybody, you know, cheer, they cheer the songs, they, they have taunt songs, they have uh, victory songs, all of these things. Everybody's very familiar with the words. And um, that's very similar to, I think, what was going on with the Psalter, particularly on these mm -hmm. holidays, you know, these festivals. You could also maybe liken it to Christmas caroling in some ways, uh, where people are familiar with uh, particularly classic Christmas songs. And, you know, you'll hear them sung all over the place at that season. And it's not uncommon to see people singing publicly and doing that kind of stuff. And kind of gives you a little bit of a, a feel for what this may have been about. This has been uh, a song that would have been sung uh, in, in, uh, with a lot of emotion and excitement and other people would chime in because they would know the words. I mean, once again, like like you said earlier, we're we, we're uh, this is a speculative thing. I think we're I think we're probably on pretty sound and a sound uh, foundation here to to, mm. to envision that. Yeah, and I you know I I put footnotes in my sermon, but nobody reads them. Yeah, that's right. They're there for you. That's right. Yeah, they're there for they're there for that one guy. You know, I've got a PhD in biblical studies. Read the footnotes, Jack. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think those are great analogies. You know, the, do you do you know any sports fight songs off the off the top of your head? I don't. I, you know, I don't either. But I I really uh, let's see. A few years ago, I went to a Columbus Crew soccer game uh, with a mutual friend of ours, actually, and we sat in Crew Corner, 
And so they were all, you know, crew corner. They knew all the Columbus crew songs. Right. Yeah. And I came back and I, I Googled the Columbus crew to see if, you know, uh, to see if they had their songs posted. And sure enough, they, if you go to their website, and I'm sure they're not unique, but you go to their website, you can see all of the songs listed on one page and they're organized just like the songs. I mean, they've got yeah. a title and they've got the stanzas and then they go to the next one and they're all there. And so, um, you know, sometimes when I'm teaching the Psalms, I'll actually bring up that web page just, mm. just to let students see a modern analogy. Of course, you know, religion and worshiping God are very different from sports, or at least they should be. <laughs> but uh, uh, you, you, we can see an analogy there. That's fair. So one of the things that uh, that we benefit from in the modern world. Um, so in my in my process, like I'm that's so the, just going back to thinking about process. So I listen to it, you know, using this uh, website that that vocalizes the Hebrew for me. And of course, I'm trying to read along as best I can. And I find that keyword that pops out that shav. OK, so now I can take that. And of course, there's a dictionary definition, which means it means emptiness or vanity or, you know, um, oh gosh, what was it? Emptiness or ruin. Those kind of things are ideas that are there. But then also I can uh, I can search. I can just hit a button and I can search in my Bible software for other places where this word uh, happens. And so this is called looking for a verbal parallel. Now, a conceptual parallel would be more difficult because you can have a different word that encompasses the same word family or, or range of meaning. And so you might miss some things here, but in the verbal parallel, it's a little bit easier to look for uh, places where this word occurs in other Bible texts. And so it was very interesting to me uh, that this comes up in the Ten Commandments. Hmm. Uh, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, uh, for the Lord will not hold him guilt guiltless who takes his name in vain. Now, we don't want to get into like making a false parallel, right. but we do want to understand, okay, so what is the, the words being used in the psalm for something that is empty and vain? And here we have, you know, the name of our God should not be used in a way that doesn't have a depth of meaning to it. Hmm. So that just, okay, that's interesting there. Um, and then also, um, if you go to Deuteronomy 520, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You know, so bearing false witness that uh, that false there is going to be the parallel. Um so you're supposed to, your words are supposed to be truth. They're supposed to be filled with meaning. They're not supposed to be empty and valueless, especially uh, in when things come up in a court situation. So uh, if somebody were to ask you to give a recommendation, you, you have to give a good recommendation that is honest. It's full of meaning. It's not vague or nonspecific. Um, I remember one time I was watching, my wife watches all of those uh, cooking shows. And I will leave nameless the person who who said this for fear of, you know, getting shut down for copyright if infringement or slander or anything. But the person tasted the food and they were like, oh, that's money. And I'm like, what? That doesn't that doesn't describe the flavor of the food at all. Sure. Yeah. And, and then he went he went on. He had a couple different. Oh, yeah, that's that's gangster. And I'm like, that doesn't describe it either. I don't know what gangster tastes like. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I, th there's so many, uh, places that we find 
emptiness. And so this is one way, like in my process, and I would, I would maybe pick out like, as I'm developing a sermon, I don't want to overwhelm people with 50 Bible verses, but I would maybe look for one or two touch points um, that faithfully represent the idea of vanity. And I'll read the one that I think uh, pops out to me. Uh, Isaiah 113, bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. And just let you, um, what do you think about that as a parallel idea to the vanity discussed in the psalm? Yeah, so what was that verse reference again? Sorry. Uh, Isaiah 113. Gotcha. Yeah. I was uh, caught up on your cooking uh, an, uh, cooking show analogy. It's funny because on a side note here, Leanne and I were, my wife Leanne and I were just watching a cooking show the other day and the the uh, the host kept describing the food with terms like that. And we only watched one episode because we're like, I still have no idea what the food tastes right. like. And we got tired of it. So we moved on to something else. <laughs> so the it is how we use language. But boy, sometimes it has its limits, doesn't it? You know, yeah. it doesn't really say anything. You can kind of it actually ends up being vanity and uh, empty. You leave yeah. thinking, wow, this is a, a waste of my time. Yeah, so 113, yeah, bring no more vain offerings, right? Yeah, these are empty, meaningless offerings. I think that's a, I think that's a good, I mean, not only is it a verbal analogy, you've got the same word used, but uh, a meaning for meaning, I think, is, is very similar there. I mean, the psalmist is saying not that it's wrong to build houses or right, not right. that it's wrong to guard cities. These are things that, that humans are supposed to do particularly in the ancient world, right? And however, if someone is not in, not trusting the Lord is kind of the implied meaning, I think, mm. that's there. If, if they're not acknowledging that, that the Lord is the one who is really watching the city, you know, really building the house, uh, then it ends up being emptiness and uh, without value, it kind of to... If I can steal something from the book of Ecclesiastes, even though I think it's a different word, yeah, it ends up being just smoke, uh, mm. you know, something wind that you can't grasp. Um, and this is the same thing, vain, you know, empty offerings, vain offerings, they're, they're, they, they have an existence, but they're meaningless. <laughs> <clears throat> there, there's no power there. There's nothing of value. Mm -hmm. It's like a good, a good uh, parallel. Yeah, I think the difference would be that Isaiah is specifically about the religious context. Although I think I, it's not too far of a stretch. Like, and and here's where I would value your thoughts. Like, as I think about these people who are on the steps going up to Jerusalem, going up to a center of economics and commerce and politics, and there's going to be a real temptation to get sucked into those things. And what the psalmist, I think, is talking about is that you can get disoriented in, in the realities of the world, things that are real, but things that are also not going to profit you ultimately or long term at all. And that's where I think like the switch that he makes in verse three, because it seems sudden. But it switches over and says, behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. And I think there's a couple things that just kind of strike me um, in the ancient world. Now, see, I'm a grandfather. I'm a father and grandfather at this point. And so I don't get to see my kids all the time. And so in the ancient world, thinking about the ancient context, you would have married your daughters off 
you may have sent your sons for business purposes to other places. And this is your opportunity to come together as an extended family. And if you're too caught up in building houses and watching over security and trying to get more food in your belly, you may miss the value of just enjoying your kids and grandkids in that moment, that time that you're going to be in Jerusalem. Yeah. I uh, know. I think that's true. And, um, it, you know, it reminds me a little bit, even if I can draw another parallel to, to Paul, you know, Paul in uh, First Thessalonians, uh, he really describes his ministry uh, to the Thessalonians in terms of a father and terms of a mother. And he talks about them being his glory, you know, that the, the people that he's ministered to are his glory. And I couldn't help but when I was thinking about the psalm earlier in the day that here the psalmist is saying, look, your building projects are, they're good, they're fine. If you don't, if the Lord is not behind them, then they're vanity. However, if you're doing all of that and ignoring your children, like what you're pointing out, yeah, boy, you are really um, kind of taking the inheritance that the Lord's given you, or as the, the ESV says, the heritage and you're not acknowledging the value that God has, or the reward, the, the profitability of your kids mm. there. You're not investing in them. Um, it's, a, it's a missed opportunity. It, it is a reorientation is what the psalmist is doing there. Yeah. Yeah, and I think it would be simplistic to say, you know, you go down to verse five and it says, blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. It, yeah, big families are, are great, you know, but it's not like we, we shouldn't use this text to say, well, you got to have more kids. That's right. That yeah. would be a, a casual misuse of the, the intent. It should be that, hey, you should value your kids above things that are vanities. That's right. And so um, children are a heritage. The fruit of the room is a, is a reward. Blessed is the man who has them. Uh, he shall not be put to shame. So he can be, and this is where like in the ancient context, you know, when you were called out for some reason, you know, your, your extended family is the ones, they're the people who are going to reinforce your honor when your honor is challenged. They're going to say, no, 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 no. This is grandpa. We know grandpa. We know he's a man of honor. They're going to be the ones who help defend you. Yeah, there is something interesting that the ESV does that other English translations uh, don't do, and that's how they render verse five. Uh, in the Hebrew and in the Greek, it actually says, blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. They shall not be put to shame when they speak to their enemies in the gate. It's interesting. Oh. They they kind of adjust it to a, you know, a third person singular when it's uh, really intended to refer to the, to the kids. Yeah. And isn't that kind of a Western, you know, United States cultural bias kind of in the, in the translation, because uh, in the ancient world, you're thinking more community oriented, mm -hmm. you know, and so honor was the kind of thing that in, involves and invokes your entire community. It's not just a you thing. It's not just your honor which yeah. actually is a mistake that I just made like unconsciously. Well, and I, it does, it, and it, like you said, it focuses on the community, but it also focuses on the kids more than the parent in some way. So yeah. and I, I, I can't help but think that, you know, Christian parents might read this. And, and as you pointed out, if you just take verse five kind of away from the context, you could come away with, 
um, you know, an encouragement to just have as many kids as possible. That's not what the psalmist is getting after. But also the psalmist is not getting after the fact that if you have kids, that they're always going to bring honor to you as the parent. Instead, mm -hmm. what it says is that they, uh, you know, in, in your valuing of them as an inheritance from the Lord, uh, in your investment of them, you are sending them out into the world and uh, they were, they're going to be in some ways speaking wisely with their enemies in the gate, you know, in this place mm -hmm. of, of authority that the ancient city would have had. So it, it's an interesting focus. I'm not sure why the ESV did that. I would be curious mm -hmm. to, I mean, it does have in their footnote uh, or they, it, it tells you what it is, but I'm not sure why they opted to go that way. Cause the Greek and the Hebrew are actually pretty clear. It's not a singular uh, subject there hmm. yeah and that's one of the things that uh, the difference between the ancient language and the modern uh you 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 know which which you am i talking about you as an individual or you as a group so when i think about so all of these things like when i think about sermon development <clears throat> you know we're going to incorporate the historical cultural context, verbal parallels, try to find a couple verses without being overwhelming that maybe give a, a similar thought or help people really kind of flesh out some ideas here. Um, but then also, like we have to bridge the cultural gap to the modern audience. And so the sermon title will be Vanities and Sanities. Um, and I realize that your children can make you insane. Uh, I have four kids, they take turns. I have six grandkids, you know, they take turns too. So sometimes you're getting, you know, tagged up on. Yeah, you have um, to unpack that sanity part real well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and I mean, the things, the th it's the things that don't matter and the things that do matter. And so uh, I'll be preaching this on the 3rd of July. I'm this So this podcast will be published like afterwards. Um, <clears throat> but when I, so I'll preach it on the 3rd. And one of the things that I want to really kind of bring home is not to get distracted by the things that don't matter. You know, it's, we live in a fantastic, we live in a great country, we live in a good place, um, but everything and everyone we know is trying to distract us for an agenda. And so uh, one of the things that, um, that is my distraction, cell phone, yep, look, there it is. It's always there, it's always on, you know, sometimes it's, you know, I'll, the first thing I need to do in the morning is do my wordle, you know, and it's like, well, wait a minute, that that's vanity, that's empty, you know, that's dead time. And sometimes that dead time fills up too much of my life. Sure. Yeah. And I think um, for some people, it might be the news hmm. uh, for, for positive or negative. You might be excited about recent developments in the news. You might be thinking that the world is coming to an end. Let me reassure you, the world is coming to an end um that's just bible you know and so people are so concerned about the end times well yeah we've been in the end times for 2000 years what are you going to do about it today mm. you know worry about tomorrow fill your life with vanities or are you going to invest in the little people or maybe even the adult people who are your kids and so some of the things i think that are takeaways from this uh you know just very simply find out look for the things that are shav in your life Look for the things that are empty and then put something in its place that makes a difference. Put something in its place uh, that is God honoring and acknowledging 
the the presence and, and power of God in your life. Um, set aside things that, um, well, fill fill those vanities up with time with your kids. You know, when your when your child or grandchild comes to you and and they're just, you know, maybe they're distracted by their screen, mm. just go sit with them. You know, and and watch what they're doing on their screen. Uh, my grandson came home from camp the other day and he was upstairs and he was just watching TV. And so I thought, oh, he's fine. I can, I can go do some work because he's fine. Yeah. I thought, you know what? I'm going to go sit down with him. And, you know, he snuggled up real close. He put his head on my chest and he fell asleep. And, you know, because I'm an old man now, I leaned my head back like this and I fell asleep too, because that's what quality time looks like. That's right. <laughs> that's right. And, you know, we need, we need to do that a little bit more, you know? The projects that we're working on, the things that we're, you know, chasing after, sometimes they're not worth worth chasing. Yeah. You know, I'm reminded when um, whenever I read this psalm of a story that actually another mutual friend that you and I have, uh, his mother told me, this is when I've, I've known this person since I was in high school. And um, and I remember his mother, who's a, who's a fine Christian lady, uh, she was having a difficult day when she was, you know, bringing up her son and he was a young guy he was probably like six or seven and he was just being really belligerent and naughty and so she went upstairs and if i'm remembering the story correctly you know she was just emotional and stressed and she she said i'm gonna i'm gonna read god's word to uh you know just calm my heart a bit and she turned to psalm 127 you know and she read this you know, this frustrated mother reads, behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. And she said, I actually said out loud, no, they're not. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, it's one of those illustrations that I've always remembered. And I associate it with this psalm because that's what she was reading. But, you know, here's this dear woman and she's raising her son and she's having to rethink uh, what God wants. She, and she's having to think God's thoughts after him in the sense that at that moment, she was allowing her experience to form her evaluation of the value of her son. I'm not, not mm-hmm. trying to be hyperbolic and say she didn't love her son. Of course she did, but she wasn't valuing him as, as an inheritance from the Lord, as a heritage. And so, you know, she was able to reor- reorient herself to God's word and go down and, and face her children. I think every parent can sympathize with that, you know. Uh, when you have to face your children, that's that's, yeah, that's, right. that's going to make it in the sermon. When you have to face your children, you have to remember they are a reward. They, that's right. From God. That's yeah. Wonderful. Yeah, well, uh, maybe I can't preach this this week. I don't know. Um, yeah, I think that I think that's really good because that's the purpose of the psalm. You know, it starts with things that are shav, things that are disorienting, and it's intending to reorient you to the things that matter. Mm-hmm. And so I think the frustrated mom, you know, or the frustrated dad, when your kids are just like on that last nerve and yeah. you're like, yep, okay, this is a place where you come back and you sort of you can you can get you can do the disorientation thing like you the first two verses are there for a reason Mm -hmm. and you recognize okay maybe the thing that i'm chasing is empty and the thing that i'm supposed to be spending my time on is this little treasure right in front of me because this moment won't last so yeah that's true we you know i've got three kids of my own and regularly my wife and i talk about particularly when they were younger you know we're playing the long game here 
you know, thing, we're training them to eventually leave the home and to go out into the world. And, and uh, we want them to love the Lord and we want them to, um, you know, think uh, God's thoughts after him and, and share the affections that he has and to do what he wants. And in some ways, there's a parallel to that, to building a house and watching a city. You know, both of those are the long game as well. Um, and, and so maybe they're, even though I, I feel the dissonance as well from verses one and two to the rest of the psalm, uh, they all are a long task. Uh, there's mm. endurance involved in all three of those. Yeah, I wonder how you could like rename your children. You know, to be like, uh, yeah, your endurance, uh, your perseverance. You know, yeah, don't don't follow Hosea's example, right? Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, hey, I think that's about all we've got. So um, I'm going to turn the recording off. Thanks for joining us. This is the Unqualified Scholar Podcast uh, with our special guest, Dr. Michael McKay, down at Cedarville University, educating the future of the church. That's your new tagline. Great to be here. Thanks for the invitation.